0: View blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be worshiping our Lord together. And if you would open up the Bible to Deuteronomy 4, we're going to continue our series in Deuteronomy. And uh, if you're newer to Christianity or just exploring if Christianity is true, uh, what a great Sunday to be here. Uh, today is all about the mercy of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason we actually open up the Bible is to learn about the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And so, if you have a copy of, of, your, of the Bible with you, please, please open to Deuteronomy 4. We're going to be in the text a lot today, as we should every Sunday, and as we are every Sunday, but especially today, we're going to be looking at the different verses in Deuteronomy 4 15 to 31. And just to rehearse where we've been, the history of God's people, especially their failure, but the very same time, simultaneously, He has been narrating the faithfulness of God and his provision for his people. And they're just about to enter in the promised land. And so Moses has a few sermons to give to them to kind of, uh, you know, cheer on the troops, so to speak, before they they march in the promised land. In chapter 4, it's this kind of this bridge of exhortation where there's this, you know, therefore now listen to the Lord and live. That's what we're looking at the whole book of Deuteronomy. The theme is listen to the word of the Lord and therefore find life. And that's what we are are learning together. And here's the question that hits us from Deuteronomy 4 15 to 31. It is this two questions, actually. How do we resist the temptation to sin? When we are enticed to do things that we know do not honor the Lord, how do we resist that temptation? question one. Question two that Deuteronomy 4 is going to answer us is if, we might say probably when, we fail to resist sin and follow down the path of sin. How does the Lord respond to us? How does he feel towards us? Uh, What is his heart towards us when we do fail? Those are the two questions. How do we resist temptation to sin? But if we do and when we do sin, how does the Lord respond to us? And with these two questions, you, you notice, especially if you've been around Christianity for more than 13 minutes, we're getting at the heart of the gospel today from Deuteronomy 4. God's mercy towards sinful men and women. And so this is so good. So we're going to listen to the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to read it out loud. We're all going to listen eagerly to the, the Lord speak to us. And just to remind you, right, this is the, by far, hands down, the most important words coming out of my mouth today are these words right here from God's word, all right? So let's listen to what the Lord has to say to us, starting in verse 15 of chapter 4, all the way down to 31. Therefore, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. In the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water under the earth. Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in the land, I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Verse 23, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, and if you act corruptly by making a carved image, In the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among all the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there, and there... You will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. For the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. This is the word of the Lord. It is good and given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, as always, we pray together that you would exalt your Son, Jesus from this text into our hearts for our good and for your glory. Help us see Jesus from Deuteronomy 4. Accomplish your purposes in us and through us. Please give me your Holy Spirit to be a faithful servant of your word and of these people. And now, spend a few moments by yourself asking the Lord to open your eyes to see Jesus, to receive Christ today from his word. Father, please take the truths of Deuteronomy 4, plant them deep within us as a church, and bear fruit for the glory of Christ your Son. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, there was a student here at Parkview, one of our college students, who gave a testimony on a Sunday morning. And as he narrated his story, what he described was how he came in as a freshman pretty kind of nominal or apathetic towards the Christian faith. He grew up in a church, but he had not yet kind of embraced and began following Jesus until kind of his freshman year where kind of the, the light bulb turned on and he had the moment of realizing who Jesus was and, and he began devoting himself to following Jesus. And here he was as a junior giving us testimony at Parkview Church on a Sunday and he summarized his faith journey in Christ this way. He said, I know two things for sure. Number one, I need to take my sins seriously. And number two, I need to take the grace of God even more seriously. And right there in those two phrases, he summarized Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 31. And if I could kind of just translate it into one of my favorite contemporary worship songs, a song called His Mercy is More, which actually we're singing after this sermon. All right. Uh, What my my, uh, friend what this student was saying was, was simply this. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. That's Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 31. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy in Christ is so much more. And so we're gonna look at three things from Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 31. First, the command to guard against sin. Second, the God's character, character to help us resist sin. And third, God's promise for when we do sin. Number one, God's command to guard against sin. Second, God's character to help us resist sin. And then third, God's promise for us in Christ when we sin. First, the command we must guard against sin idolatry in sin. The main command of this text is very clear. Hopefully you heard it when we read it together, but just to review, look with me at verses 15 to 16. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Moses is doing the classic check yourself before you wreck yourself. Watch yourself before you Crush yourself. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you out of Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, talking here about Sinai, Horeb, Sinai, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. Watch yourself carefully. Beware. Idolatry is a real thing. You can make carved images for Yourselves, And then jump down to verse 23. He reemphasizes and clarifies actually what idolatry is. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. So the command that we see from Deuteronomy 4 is very clear. The Lord gives to us. His command is we must very carefully... Guard ourselves against idolatry because idolatry is, verse 23, forsaking covenant, forgetting covenant with God. Uh, There might be a slide up here in defining what if not. You can just listen closely. There it is. A covenant uh, is a chosen relationship of exclusive loyalty in which two people or two parties make binding promises to each other. A covenant is a chosen relationship of exclusive loyalty in which two people make binding promises to each other. Here's why I want to define this, okay? You cannot read the Bible without coming across the word covenant. And so if we misunderstand what biblically what a covenant is, we will basically misunderstand what the Bible is all about because the Bible is about covenant. Old covenant, Old Testament actually could be said Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the new covenant in Christ. Covenant is a chosen relationship of exclusive loyalty between two people. In our contemporary world, Thomas said this last week, right? Marriage is our most significant covenant in which we pledge ourselves to exclusively love and cherish and honor our spouse. And therefore, by saying yes to them, we are saying no to the other 7,433,200 million people that are rest in the world. Okay? We're saying yes to one. And therefore, no to all others. And that is why idolatry is so significant because idolatry is shifting your love and loyalty away from the Lord onto something else in his creation. That's why in verses 16 to 19, did you see this? 16 to 19, it says, you know, creating something in the likeness of humans, of fish, of animals, whatever's in creation. That's what idolatry is. It's turning from a loyalty to the Lord, first and foremost, and worshiping, and loving, and finding pleasure, and we're not saying that you love God only, and then everyone else you hate. What we're saying is there's an exclusiveness, a uniqueness to your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that he deserves the first and best of your love, and everything else is definitely a far second. But here's the point that the first section is, is saying. The, the point is this, in covenant, and what we're, not ta- what we're talking about here is, is us, okay? If you have, oftentimes the phrase in the church nowadays is accepted Jesus into your heart. That phrase is not in the Bible. I think it can be helpful in some ways. Um, but what we actually mean when you accept Jesus into your heart or pray to receive Jesus or whatever it was that you did, maybe in seventh grade when you were at youth camp, great, wonderful, what, you a- what actually was happening was you entered into a permanent covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the church talks about, especially if you're new to Christianity or still exploring, when we say we want you to have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God, what we're saying is we want you to enter into an exclusive relationship of loyalty and love with the risen Lord above. And therefore, it's not as if you add Jesus onto an already full schedule, and maybe he gets 13 minutes in your week. Instead, you look at the schedule of your week. This is what real Christian, normal Christianity is this. You look at the schedule of your week. It's not that you have the whole of your life and then a little bit of Jesus added on. That's not what Christianity is. It is, as you look at your whole week, whether it's work or marriage or friendships or relationships or sexuality or time, whatever, money, You view those things through the lens of I am in someone who engages these manifold responsibilities in a way that reveals to the world that I belong to God and God alone and not to the worldly priorities around us. That is what covenant means. And you and I are in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ as we have turned from our sin and trusted in his finished work alone. But again, the point of this passage is this. In covenant, we must express our love to the Lord by refusing idolatry. By refusing to turn our affections towards something or someone else in a way that is not healthy and that does not help us and does not honor the Lord. So the question then is this. Okay, command is clear. We must resist idolatry. But then how? How do we guard against idolatry? Do you just kind of think, okay, don't do the sin, don't do it, you know? Well, no, we have to rehearse God's character. What we have to learn as Christians is if we're gonna be a people that are gonna be holy to the Lord, okay, uh, fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, is the way that we resist idolatry is by rehearsing in our hearts and minds the character of God. I'm not making this up. Look at verses 20 to 24, where Moses identifies three aspects of God's character that motivate us to guard against idolatry. Verse 20 is the first, okay? The Lord is our redeemer. Look, verse 20. The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Through redemption from slavery, the Lord has brought his people to himself, and they've become his personal possession. The Lord treasures you. The Lord has brought you all the way out of sin and darkness into the very depths of his heart. He has committed himself to you. You are his inheritance. So he's first redeemer. Second, verse 21 and 22, the Lord is a giver. The Lord will not allow Moses to enter the land, but what does Moses emphasize? He says, the good land the Lord your God is giving you For an inheritance. Verse 22 I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Here's the provision of God. Not only does He rescue us from slavery, but then He gives us what is good. We went from rags to riches, from nothing to everything, from slavery to sons, from shame to freedom. That is what has happened to us. He is Redeemer, He is Giver, and third, and finally, the Lord is jealous. Jealous. Now, what we don't mean, the Bible does not mean, what we hear oftentimes is, oh, man, she's so jealous when the other people in her company get a promotion. Or he's so jealous because his best friend got a new girlfriend. That's not what we're talking about here. The Lord is not uh, an immature, uh, insecure person. The jealousy is more of that of a husband for a wife. It says the Lord is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He is the Lord of a white, hot, exclusive passion for his people. And like any faithful, loving spouse who sees his beloved forget and forsake the covenant vows that they made for one another, idolatry is wicked and evil because it forgets covenant with God, right? What does it say in verse 23? Those who participate in idolatry are forgetting covenant. So, of course, If you have a spouse who forgets the covenant vows that you made to one another and begins fooling around with someone else, of course there is a holy and good and pure jealousy of anger, righteous anger, towards that sin. You see, sin is horrific and idolatry is dangerous, not just because it's bad, or makes you feel bad, or brings bad consequences into your life, although that's true. The reason sin is so horrific, and especially idolatry, is because of who our God is for us. The great 17th century prayer on humility says it like this, "'You, O Lord, do not play in convincing me of sin. Satan did not play in tempting me to it. I do not play when I sink in the deep mire of my sin.' For sin is no game, no toy, no trinket. Let me never forget the heinousness of sin, get this, the evil of sin, the wickedness of sin, lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person Sinned against. Idolatry is to refuse your Redeemer, to neglect the Giver and instead love the gift. It is to sabotage the love relationship our jealous Lord has for us. And this is why it's so important, verse 15, to take care, Parkview, to watch yourselves very carefully. Because idolatry will seek to lure you away moment by moment, oftentimes imperceptibly, towards. Unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so Parkview, right now, is there a particular sin that you are being tempted toward or are currently embracing that your conscience, and especially the word of God, has clearly said no to? Because if you are, you are in a dangerous place. You must guard yourself against temptation. And we can just put this into practice right now. If we remember the three character, characteristics of God so far that we've seen, that he's our redeemer, he's our giver, and he's our jealous Lord. Well, just think about different ways this could shape the way that we resist sin. If he is our redeemer, what we learn from the gospel is that through the finished work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, he has rescued us from slavery, not in Egypt, but from a deeper, more terrible slavery of slavery to sin. And now we belong to the Lord, heart, mind, and body to live for his purposes. In fact, if you remember all the way back in the fall, Pastor Doug Fern was preaching on 1 Corinthians 6, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 applies this, the Lord is our Redeemer, to the issue of sexuality, which I think is a very much a present concern for us here at Parkview Church. Paul says do not participate in sexual intimacy outside the good boundaries of marriage do not pursue lust in any form do not commit idolatry why it says for you were bought with a price therefore honor God with your body because the Lord has redeemed you you now belong to him and ought to honor the Lord with your body verse 21 and 22 we see the Lord is a giver and a provider right i'm thinking about how this would shape our The way we think about money or giving generously, right? If the Lord is the one who's provided generously for us, in fact, Romans 8 even says, if he's given us his only son, his only beloved treasured son, how will he not also give us everything we need for contentment, everything we need for life and godliness? You see, knowing God is like this it cures us from the desire and propensity to keep looking to money to build for us a life of comfort that may be wonderful for the American dream, but so often lures us away from the values of King Jesus. One of our elders um, often talks about how Jesus himself uh, talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. Jesus does care about heaven and hell. He believes in it but he also cares about how we think about our money and the way that we resist the pull in our American culture towards making money and therefore our comfort, the primary aim, our idol of our life, provided for us everything we need. And therefore, we can be cheerful givers. We can sacrificially give to the church and to the work of God's mission. Why? Because we trust that our Lord has provided for us what we need. And then he also, right, is our jealous Lord. We see in Ephesians 5 that God, through Christ, is this husband who's gave himself up for us. And Paul in Galatians 2 says, I now live for Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus has loved us, which at its very root cuts away any nominal Christianity that we're so often tempted by, where we just pursue laziness and apathy in our relationship with the Lord, but not not if we know how zealously, how passionately How committedly our Lord has devoted himself to us in love. See, knowing God is very practical. Theology, the knowledge of God, allows us to resist idolatry because we realize who God is and therefore what he's called us to be. So we've seen the command against idolatry. We must resist it. We've seen the motivation of why we can do that through the character of God, through rehearsing and understanding the character of God. But now we focus now on verse 25 to 31 where we see the promise of our God towards us when we sin. Here's a question. What is God like towards us when we sin? What is he like? You ever wondered that? When you fail, what is his attitude towards you? Is there, we might ask, a hidden expiration date Kind of tucked up under the love of God. That at some point, if we sin so terribly, or if we sin so many times, at some point, Jesus just throws in the towel on us. Because he's disgusted by the way in which we forsake him. Well, I want you to notice something in verses 25 to 28. Look at how we've transitioned from the present tense to the future tense. Verse 25. When you father children and children's children, future generations, right, children, children down the road, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke into anger. So here, God's people now, Moses, what he's saying is, There's gonna be a time, you're gonna enter into the land. But when you do, you're going to pursue those idols. So now notice how the Lord responds. When you're in the the land pursuing idolatry, verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land. You will not live long in it. You will be utterly destroyed. The Lord, verse 27, will scatter you among the peoples. You'll be left few in numbers where the Lord will drive you. And there, verse 28, you will realize the emptiness of idolatry where you serve gods of wood and stone. That neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. One of the ways, Parkview, that we know we're pursuing idols is if we begin to experience an unhealthy amount of discouragement and sadness when our expectations for how our life should be have not happened. Now, there's a healthy grieving and lamenting that ought to happen in the Christian life for sure. But when we build our lives around something and that something crumbles, whether it's a, the love and affection or approval of another person, or it's kind of the idea of what we hoped our life would be, but now we're 47 and it's not really what we had hoped, and we're constantly bitter and constantly discouraged, it's probably a sign verse 28, that you have built something that doesn't have life in it. It can't see, it can't hear, can't eat, can't smell. It has no power to actually give you the joy and satisfaction that you had hoped for it. And what these verses then are saying is that in this future time, when God's ancient people move into idolatry, there is judgment. There is judgment, right? He says, the Lord will drive you to that place. You will utterly perish. You will not live In it, verse 26, the very end, you will be utterly destroyed. In this place of idolatry and failure, God is very clear there is judgment. The Lord promises to condemn sin and to judge idolatry outright. He does not sweep it under the rug, He must deal with sin through judgment. And we have to reckon with that, as followers of Christ. And especially if you're here and you're not currently in relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a very dangerous place to be because the Lord is clear. Judgment is upon all those who walk the path of idolatry, refusing to turn. And yet judgment, friends, is not the final word. Look at Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 29. The Lord's future judgment against our failure, paves way for his mercy. Verse 29, but from there, from there, from that place of failure, from the place of judgment, you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search him with all your heart and soul. When you are in tribulation, all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant Forget the covenant with the fathers that he made with you. So what is the promise of God for our failure and sin? The promise is seen in a breathtaking pattern. Did you, did you notice this? This is so crucial that we get this. This is fundamental to how the Bible works, to how God works towards sinful men and women. You see, in the midst of judgment versus, in the midst of judgment against idolatrous failure, do you see what happens? In the place of judgment, the Lord reveals himself to be The God of mercy. In the place of judgment, God reveals himself to be the God of mercy. How can this be? How can God both justly and idolatry outright, while at the very same time, grant mercy and forgiveness and love towards those who have sinned against them? This happens because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know something that these original people of God all the way back thousands of years ago do not know. We now can look at the cross of Jesus Christ where God the Father poured out his angry judgment against our wicked idolatry upon his beloved son, the son who expressed loyal covenant love to the Father. He received the judgment that you and I deserve. God condemns it's the heart of the gospel, God condemns sin in Christ while at the very same time offering mercy to all who would turn from their idolatry and sin and receive Jesus Christ. Verse 30 to 31, you will return to the Lord for he is a merciful God. Parkview, here's the promise of the gospel. Our sins, our sins, they are dangerous. Our sins, they are many. Our sins, they deserve God's condemnation, but in Christ, his mercy is more. Our sins, your sins may be many, but the mercy of God is more. What Deuteronomy 4 is saying this, oh man, this is outrageously delicious. What Deuteronomy 4 is saying is this, the Lord delights to show mercy to you at the place of your worst failure. God's mercy will triumph over his judgment through the cross of Christ. Did you see it in the text? Again, I'm not, making, I'm not making this up. It's way too good for a human like me to conjure up something this brilliant and so beautiful. Look at, again, look at the passage, 29 to 30. But from there, from there, from the place of judgment, from the place of exile and failure... When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you, when you are suffering the consequences of your foolish idolatry, at that place, verse 31, for the Lord is merciful. The Lord will not destroy. He will never forget the covenant. You see, Parkview, here's what Deuteronomy 4 is trying to communicate to you. When you sin, At that place of failure, at that place of your worst sin, at the place of your deepest regrets, at the place of your most deepest shame, the thing that you hate most about yourself, it is at that very place through the cross of Christ that God comes not in disapproval or disappointment or wrath or judgment. God comes in the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must become a people that love and rejoice in this good news of the gospel. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Our sins may be many, but his mercy is more. I was on a run recently uh, this past week, and on the way back to my home, uh, I ran by a family. There was a two girls with the mom, and there was a boy and a father, and the boy and the father looked like they were doing, like, kind of wind sprints up, and then they kind of would come back. Well, the father just ran up a pretty far distance ahead, and as he was doing that, one of the daughters, um, she, uh, she was kind of fooling around and you know, trying to like, have fun or whatever, and, and she just tanked it, okay? Hashtag fail. She just, just, boom, hit the pavement, and of course, there's crying, there's weeping, and she's just, you know, just totally distressed. And, and what got me was immediately when the father heard that, he turned right around and ran back to find his baby girl. You see, any good father is filled with mercy and compassion when the child fails. Right now, Haddon is sick. Haddon has this just terrible cold. Um, it's just like flood, just streams of, you know, living water f- from his nose right now. And um, you know what I've noticed about my heart? My heart has increased in compassion for him, increased in compassion and mercy towards him in his sickness. You see, any good father will pour out mercy towards his struggling, sin-sick people. That's what we see Right here in this passage, when you are in tribulation, when these things come upon you, when you are filled with the shame and the regrets and the failure, the Lord will not leave you. The Lord will not destroy you. The Lord is faithful to his covenant of mercy. So how does this shape our life together at Parkview Church? Two very simple things, okay? Two very simple things. I want you to notice in verse 30 where it says this, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Verse 31, for he is a merciful God. The mercy of God in Jesus Christ does two things. Number one, it motivates us, it compels us to repent, to return. And at the very same time, it motivates us, it compels us to obey. Repent and obey. If we're a people where Deuteronomy God takes Deuteronomy 4 and plants it deep into our hearts, Parkview Church will become a people of glad-hearted repentance because of the mercy of God, but also of loving obedience to the Lord. First, returning people. The the passage is clear. Our problems, our hearts are, are turned towards idolatry. The solution, God's mercy in Christ. The question is this. Are we turning back to God? Are we turning back to God? Especially if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet following Jesus. Here's the clear application. Here's the clear focus of what this passage, what the Lord God himself is speaking to you right now through the word of God. What he's saying is this. Number one, His judgment is very clear. He will judge, either now in this life, but especially eternally, he will judge sinners who participate in idolatry. It's just clear. You cannot deny it. You would have to be going against God's word to deny it from this passage. God will bring judgment, and yet the offer of the gospel from this passage is that he is a merciful God who enjoys and loves forgiving really bad people. And so what the the question is this, will you return today for the first time? Return to the Lord, come to the Lord. Will you turn from your sin for living life for your own self and instead turn and follow the Lord? Will you turn and come to the Lord Jesus Christ? And it begins with basically saying this, Jesus, I'm a failure and a mess. You take my failure and mess and sin, I'll receive your life and forgiveness. It's the great exchange. That's what the Lord Jesus wants from you right now. Second, we have to be an obeying people. Those of you who are in Christ, those of you who are committed here at Parkview Church to following the Lord Jesus, we must obey. Again, we return to the Lord and obey him because he is a merciful God. But notice in verse 30, it says, obey his voice. You see, in the mercy of Jesus Christ, there's two provisions. Not only forgiveness of sin, but also God puts within us a new heart. Our Lord Jesus, you know why he never forsakes you and never leaves you? Because he's given you his very Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is within you to listen to the word of the Lord, to hear 1 John five twenty one say, little children, keep yourselves from idol. The Lord Jesus, because we're in covenant with him, expects us to turn away from sin and to walk in holiness, but he gives us the power to do so through his mercy. And very practically, it would look like this. The way that we, we're back all the way to the starting, right? The way we resist sin is by knowing the character of God. And the way we know the character of God is through the word of God, right? It says obey his voice. The Lord's voice is speaking to us every day in our personal lives as we open up God's word. The reason we open up God's word is so that we can resist sin and we can walk in fullness of life with him. The way we open up God's word in community groups is so we can do resisting sin and obey the Lord and walk in fullness of joy. In our families, men and women, if you have families, are you opening up God's word with your children? Are we doing it together? Friendships, wherever it is, are we opening up God's word? Because that's where we hear His voice. It's the voice of love. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you display towards us, sinners, your great heart of mercy. We're in a place of deepest failure and regret and sin and idolatry, you offer us the forgiving mercy of Christ and a new heart by the Holy Spirit to then obey you. Lord, what a joy. Help us now sing with all of our hearts that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.